Hello, this is Pastor Mark Stevens, and we're having our Zoom Bible study tonight. And tonight we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, before we start, let's open up with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you praise and we thank you for your goodness and mercy. And we ask, dear God, that you would just um, help us to better understand your word, help us to apply it, help us not just be hearers of your word, but help us to to retain it and to do it, to live it. Um, if we're convicted by your word, Lord, give us the, the strength and the power to live what we uh, understand and live what you command us to live. Uh, we just pray for your strength right now, God, in these last and evil days. Uh, bless the hearers of this message. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So tonight we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, I'm just kind of backtracking a little bit. Paul uh, was the founding father of this church in Corinth. But unfortunately, he wasn't able to uh, maintain uh, the leadership in person because he was in jail. Uh, so Paul had Apollos and uh, different ones that would help him uh, with the church at Corinth and uh, the church at Ephesus and uh, some of the other churches in Asia Minor. He had men like Timothy and Titus and John Mark and different ones that would help him um, spread the gospel, teach the gospel, and help people live the gospel. But uh, the Corinthian church had problems. Uh, one of the main problems they had, there was a lack of unity, and they were um, uh, divided uh, over personalities, over uh, positions, power. They just, you know, were a very uh, immature church. So the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul is really dealing with them as children, not as adults. Um, and he's, he's calling, them on, calling them out, basically calling them carnal Christians, uh, that they were, you know, basically immature believers. So in the chapter 5, he's dealing with another problem, and that problem is immorality in the church. And Paul is here in chapter 5 rebuking the immorality. So let's get into the word. I'm using the Amplified Bible uh, some of you may not be familiar with the Amplified Bible, but what it does is it gives us, within the within the text, it gives us uh, clarity of certain words and definitions within the text. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, It is actually reported everywhere that there is sexual immorality among you, a kind of immorality that is condemned even among the unbelieving Gentiles, that someone has an intimate relationship with his father's wife. Now, it's funny because what Paul deals with here, he's uh, letting them know. See, he wasn't just ministering to Jewish believers. He was ministering to Gentile believers also. And there were a smattering of um, Romans and different ones there of different uh, origins. Um, but more majority of them were believers. And so he's rebuking this guy, but he's also mentioning that... Um, even amongst the Gentiles that are unbelieving, this is considered reprehensible because according to the Jewish law, it was wrong for a man to to, to marry or have a, a relationship with his stepmother. And some theologians say that he was married to her, but even still, it was against Roman uh, Jewish law for a man to have his father's wife. But it was also illegal in the Roman law. So he's mentioning both, just so the guy realizes he can't get off the hook um, if he thinks it's just, you know, going to be okay with the Romans, but it's not. Okay, let's keep reading. 
verse 2. It says, And you are proud and arrogant, and you should have mourned in shame so that the man who has done this disgraceful thing would be removed from your fellowship. So he's telling them that they're proud and they're arrogant, uh, in addition to being immature and divisive. Um, the problem here is they weren't spiritual enough to put this man out of the fellowship or to confront him and uh, convince him that what he did was wrong according to the scriptures and the Roman law. Uh, but they didn't even attempt that. They just let it go on. So verse 3. For I, though absent from you in body, but present in spirit, have already passed judgment on him who has committed this act as if I were present. So Paul is saying, look, I'm not there physically, but I know what's going on. I know what you did, and uh, I'm calling you out on it. So that's what Paul is doing right here. He's calling them out on it, and uh, he's rebuking them because of their actions, or lack of action in this case. Verse 4, In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to hand over this man to Satan for the destruction of his body, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, here's a, here's a kind of a controversial statement because um, what Paul is basically saying is that this man should be put out of the fellowship. And I don't know if he held a position of authority or whether he was a minister or a deacon. It doesn't say that. But Paul said, put him out of the fellowship. Uh, so he could be saved in, in the last days. So basically what he's saying is the rebuke um, that God is going to give this guy is what's going to save him. And I'm a firm believer that if you're a believer and you're walking in sin, the Holy Spirit will convict you. Now, if this guy wasn't a believer, that's one thing. But Paul identified him as a believer. But he messed up. He was out of order. He was uh, you know, doing something that was sinful and wrong. So Paul is saying um, that they should have handed him over to Satan for destruction. Now, something that we read in um, the Gospels when Jesus talks about situations like this, Jesus said, take this person to one or two other people, so there are two or three witnesses, and talk to the person. So I kind of wonder if this already took place, if this man was already talked to by some of the senior leadership. I don't know. But Paul is very stern here. He's like saying, put him out. Put him out. Verse 6. Your boasting over the supposed spirituality of your church is not good. Indeed, it is vulgar and inappropriate. Do you not know that just a little leaven ferments the whole batch of dough? Just as a little sin corrupts a person or an entire church? So Paul is basically saying that this is just not a matter of one person. But it affects the whole church. And this is very true. I know whenever there's scandals, whenever there's uh, immorality in the church or some type of scandal, uh, it doesn't just affect the person involved, but it affects the church. A lot of times churches lose credibility. Uh, they become the laughing stock in the community. Um, people have a tendency sometimes when certain ones in the church backslide, uh, it has an effect on, uh, on people where they'll just follow in the footsteps of the person in question and uh so um paul is talking about the kind of danger that this uh, uh this man is bringing to the body 
Um, and he also talking about them boasting over their supposed spirituality. So he's telling them, no, you're not spiritual. Because if, if you were spiritual, you would address this. I think about the scripture that says, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself also. So somebody should have been spiritual enough to say, Hey man, it's not right for you to have your father's wife. But evidently nobody did that. Now, one of the things I know sometimes in our churches, we have a tendency to um, feel like, well, it's not my place to judge um, people. It's not my place to um, go up to somebody and, and talk about their sin when I may not be right myself. But this is the reason why Jesus said, take two or three witnesses. Because a lot of times when people are confronted about their transgressions by a group or by the whole group, it has more of an impact. Um, but if the if the group or uh, uh, a cadre of elders and somebody doesn't challenge them, they'll think it's all right. Um, and I remember a long time ago, I was in a fellowship and uh, one of the ministers within the fellowship um, was uh, cheating on his wife. And a lot of people knew it. You know, I was in the military at the time. A lot of people on the base knew it. And it got around to the place where people on the base that weren't even members of our fellowship were talking about it. Like, this guy's supposed to be a preacher and he's cheating on his wife. So, you know, those those kind of things catch fire. You know, like a wildfire, like a, a cigarette in the forest can, can burn the whole forest down. Uh, and that's kind of what happens in churches when there's sexual immorality. Okay, uh, verse 7. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new batch. Just as you, you are still unleavened. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Now, leaven, of course, is yeast. And a lot of times when people make bread, my mom used to make the most delicious bread. And she put yeast in it. I remember those little yellow packets. And she put the yeast in it, and the bread would just puff up and rise, and it was hot and uh, just delicious. But if you want unleavened bread, you don't put yeast in it. And, you know, a lot of times what people used to do back in the old days to save money. They would take a little piece of the leaven um, dough and they would save it. And then the next time they made bread, they would add it to the, the next batch of bread and it would continue to be useful. Um, but Jesus also said to the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And that, the leaven puffs you up. Leaven, like bread, it puffs up. And uh, pride and arrogance, which that's the problem with the Corinthian church, they were proud and arrogant, caused uh, them to be lifted up. And puffed up. And so, you know, uh, Paul is saying here, a little leaven, leaven leavens the whole loaf. Just a little bit of that leavened dough that you add to the new dough, it, it causes the whole um, uh, loaf to be uh, uh, fermented. Okay. Let's see here. Um, verse 7. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new batch, just as you are still unleavened. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So what Paul is saying here is, you know, why are you acting like this? Why are you conducting yourself in this way? Jesus died on the cross so we don't have to act this way. So we have the power not to act this way. And I think sometimes people forget that uh, in James 4 and 7 it says, Submit yourself to uh, God, resist the devil and he'll flee. But you can't resist the devil unless you submit to God. And it was obvious that this man and the Corinthian church truly hadn't submitted to God. If they did, they would have challenged this man. They would have talked to him about his uh, attitude and about his uh, con uh, conduct. Okay. Uh, 
uh, verse 8. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with leaven of vice and malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and untainted truth. I wrote you in my previous letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And so he, he wrote, he, he even, see, this is something that's kind of amazing. Um, there was a previous letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. Now, it's not this letter, but it was another letter, and it's not published within the 66 uh, books of the Bible within the New Testament uh, canon. But Paul said, I wrote you before about sexual misconduct. You know, one of the problems with the Corinthian church is a lot of the new converts, mostly the Gentiles, they were idolaters, and uh, they used to worship uh, Diana in the temple, and uh, she was a goddess of lust. And the women that were uh, in the temple, they would shave their heads, and they were called temple prostitutes. And the men would go there and have sex with the temple prostitutes, um, and that was their sign of worshiping Diana. Um, and Paul, <clears throat> you know, in another writing said to the women, don't cut your hair. And a lot of people mistake that scripture as to mean, uh, you know, you can't, a woman can't trim her hair. No, what he was talking about was the women that were temple prostitutes that got saved. He said, don't do that anymore. You're no longer a temple prostitute. And that was the context of that situation. Um, but verse 11, he says, uh, verse 10 says, not meaning the immoral people of this world or the greedy ones and swindlers or idolaters. For then you would have to get out of the world and human society altogether. But actually, I have written to you not to associate with so-called Christian brother if he is sexually immoral or greedy, or is an idolater devoted to anything that takes the place of God. Now, this is interesting. He goes from talking about sexual immorality and talking about greed and the love of money. And both of those things can cause a person to backslide. You know, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, not some evil, all evil. And so Paul is saying don't have contact with a brother that's sexually immoral or a brother that's greedy or an idolater. And idolatry, of course, we know is worshiping a false god. But for a lot of people, money is their false god. And I think in our, in our American society, that is so true because uh, in America, uh, money is king. You know, uh, money has replaced uh, worship. You know, people worship the dollar. So uh, Paul is warning the Corinthian church against this. Verse 12. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders, non-believers? Do you not judge those who are within the church to protect the church as the situation requires? God alone sits in judgment on those who are outside the faith. Remove the wicked one from among you. Expel him from your church. So here again, Paul, is, his last words on this top su subject is, put this guy out of the church. Now, what people don't realize either is by doing that, you're basically saving this guy. Because hopefully this action will make him realize the error of his ways. Um, so Paul is not, it seems like Paul's being hard, but he has to. Remember this, the parable about the leaven and the loaf? That, that applies here. When Jesus said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, that applies. Leaven puffs up. Leaven contaminates, you know. So uh, in, in terms of bread, because un unleavened bread is the holy bread. And you don't use leavened bread uh, for communion or for holy uh, Passover uh, events. All right, we're going to do uh, 
a little bit of chapter 6 since we got a little extra time tonight. Chapter 6 says, does any of you, any one of you, when he has a complaint, civil dispute with another believer, dare to go to the law before unrighteous men, non-believers, instead of placing the issue before the saints, God's people? Uh, this is a touchy one. What Paul is basically saying is, if you have an issue with a brother, an issue, uh, a legal matter, don't go to the law, go to the church. Allow the church to deal with it. Allow the saints of God to come together to bring resolution. Uh, basically, what he's saying is don't sue a brother in Christ. Now, I know that a lot of people don't take this to heart because we've seen, uh, I've seen families uh, break up. People that were in a family um, over legal matters and they profess to be Christian. I know one family in particular, uh, the parents uh, died and there was a will and they wanted to contest it and they took the brother, took the sister to court uh, and, the, and the parents left the money to the sister because the brother was an alcoholic and irresponsible. So, um, but he took her to court. He lost, but he took his own sister to court. And that's what Paul is basically saying. Don't you dare take a brother or sister in Christ to court. Deal with it in the church. Deal with it amongst yourselves. And that's what he's trying to get across in that. Verse 2. Do you not know that the saints, God's people, will one day judge the world? If the world is to be judged by you, you are not competent. Are you not competent to try to trivial, insignificant, petty cases? So basically what Paul is saying, if God's going to use you to judge the world and even judge angels, uh, you can't take care of a petty situation between you and your brother in Christ? Verse 3. Do you not know that we believers will judge angels? Like I said, how much more than as the matters of this life? So God is talking about you're going to have a heavenly responsibility to judge angels. But God is like saying you can't deal with a, a trivial situation. And when you think about it, uh, most things are trivial because, uh, you know, money money passes, you know, but we have to deal with spiritual matters. You know, somebody say somebody in the church owes you $1,000 and you take them to court. You know, rather than just saying, look, brother, pay me what you can, when you can, or forgive the debt. Um, uh, it's, it's, and a lot of times we forget that, you know, money money can cause all kinds of divisions, not just in, in the families, but in the church as well. I've seen it happen in churches many times. Verse 4. So if you have lawsuits dealing with matters of this life, are you appointing those as judges to hear disputes? who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not, not, not one wise man among you who is governed by integrity and will be able and competent to decide private disputes between his fellow believers, but instead brother goes to law against brother and that before judges who are unbelievers? Like what he's saying is, why would you trust a judge that doesn't know God? or um, a lawyer that doesn't know God, to deal with a case that's going on amongst brethren. And I look at it like a, a real physical family. You know, I, I would feel really bad if I had to sue my brother. But we shouldn't want to sue our brother. We shouldn't want to sue our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's just not, not right. Verse 6. But instead, brother goes to law against brother, and that before judges who are unbelievers. Why? The very fact that you have lawsuits with one another is already a defeat. Why not rather be wrong 
Why not rather be defrauded? So what Paul is saying is, if somebody cheated you out of $100, it's better to forgive it and move on. And that's what he's saying. Now, most people don't think like that. Most people are like, I want my $100. But when you really think about it, if you're dealing with believers, if that person is in fact a believer, the Holy Spirit should be convicting that person. So I've had this happen to me on many occasions where I lent money to somebody and they didn't pay it back or they hemmed and hawed and made excuses. And most of the time, say 99% of the time, I just said, okay, it's not a loan. It's a gift. And sometimes the convicting power of God will cause that person to pay you back. And that's why it's so important that we pray for one another. We pray that... And then we'll do the right thing by God. Uh, pray that the enemy won't slip in the midst of the brethren and sisters and cause us to act unseemly. All right. Verse 8. On the contrary, it is you who, who wrong and defrauded, and you do this even of, to your brothers and sisters. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate by perversion, nor those who participate in homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, whose words are used as weapons to abuse, insult, humiliate, imitate, or slander, nor swindlers will inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God. Now, when you read this, some people read it and they go, wait a minute, I'm having a problem with one of these sins. But what Paul is trying to get across, and he always goes back to this, if you really, really read Paul, what he's saying is, if you are a believer, you should not be wrestling with these things. You know, old things have passed away, all things become new. Um, and, and so, a carnal Christian will struggle with fleshly things. But Paul is trying to help these people see the error of their ways and get them to get out of carnality and walk in the spirit. The Bible says if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that's what Paul is trying to help these people do. All right. I'm going to stop in verse 11. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers whose words or use as weapons to abuse, insult, humiliate, intimidate, or slander. Nor swindlers will inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God. And such were some of you before you believed. But you were washed by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. You were sanctified, set apart for God, and made holy. You were justified, declared free of guilt in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of our God, the source of a believer's new life and changed behavior. So what Paul is saying, like I mentioned earlier, you know, um, if you're a believer, you know, you shouldn't be behaving like this. Um, you were like this, so why are you going back to that lifestyle? And that's what the Corinthian church was at. They were carnal. They continued to drink. They continued to lie. They continued to fornicate. They continued to practice homosexuality. And it's plain right there. I know people are going to uh, hear this broadcast and say I'm homophobic. No, the Bible is not homophobic. The Bible loves homosexuals. That's why he calls us, calls them out on it. And homosexuality ain't the only sin he mentioned. He mentioned drunkenness, excuse me, violent, uh, revelers. So, you know, I'm not picking on one group of people. You know, fornicators, liars, cheats, all that's in there. 
But Jesus is the cure for all of these different things. I know I was a bad drunk. I was violent. I used to like to fight. You know, I would get drunk and slap people. I was crazy. Um, but thank God for Jesus. And what we have to understand is the enemy is going to try and get you to walk in your flesh so you can retreat and go back to your uh, fleshly ways. And this is what Paul was trying to prevent with the Corinthian church. He was trying to get them to live uh, above the sinful behavior. He was trying to get them to walk in the Spirit, trying to get them to live the sanctified, holy life that he called for. And we have to remember something. None of us are perfect. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But what we also have to realize and understand is that your flesh is weak. Jesus said to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, the spirit's indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Your flesh is always going to be weak. And the only cure for your sinful flesh is Jesus. And the only help that we have with our sinful flesh is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and prayer. And we have to be mindful of that. If we slip and forget those things, it's real easy for a person one day, they feel like they're the strongest Christian on the block, but if they're not doing those simple things, they can slip and fall. It doesn't take much. You know, if you look in the Bible, there were a lot of great men and women that fell because they forgot that they had to submit themselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. I don't care how many spiritual muscles you have. You can end up like Samson if you're not surrendered to God. So we want to uh, meditate and really think about First and Second Corinthians and really apply it to our lives. Because it's powerful to see a church that was so gifted in one way, but so carnal in others. And I really believe Paul was being hard on the Corinthian church because it was a church that was full of spiritual gifts and full of people that were, you know, willing and ready to serve God, but they still had problems with their flesh and they were carnal in so many ways. So, let's not be Corinthians. Amen. Let's be the delivered, set free Christians that God wants us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's close out in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We thank you for your goodness and mercy. And I ask to God that you would strengthen us and help us to live godly lives. Forgive us of our transgressions and sins. Help us, dear God, to walk in holiness. Help us, dear God, to be lights in a dark world and salt that helps season this world that's... Uh, in, in bad shape right now. So we ask that you would touch us, move us, fill us the more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. And I pray that uh, that this lesson was a blessing to you. And uh, we ask that you would just continue to t tune in every Thursday at 8 o'clock uh, for our Bible study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.